Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Missing Chapter fans, we know you love history. And many times throughout our studies of the past, we recognize similarities between the past and present. We've heard from presidents and generals and historians about how often we need to look at history to repeat favorable actions, as well as correct our former mistakes. But how often do we notice history repeating itself while it's happening? Do those who experienced a golden age know that they're in a golden age? Do those who are living in a non-political revolution realize the historic change that's taking place before their very eyes? These are the questions that Phil and I are going to use to, let's say, drive this episode. And our very special guest today, Aaron Gold, senior editor at Motor Trend, is here with us today to discuss the revolution that he feels is not only taking place right now, but is actually eerily similar to what took place a century ago. Grab your coffees and get ready for a very electric episode of The Missing Chapter. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, everybody. This is Phil Schaff here with Phil Hornder on the Missing Chapter podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Aaron Gold, who is a senior editor at Motor Trend. He's been writing about cars for more than two decades. While his primary job is reviewing new vehicles, he's has, he has a passion for automotive history in general and terrible cars in particular. The uglier, the odder, the better. Aaron is a native New Yorker, uh, transplanted to L.A., and his other interests include film photography, trains, both real and model. Aaron, uh, it's our pleasure to have you on. So welcome to The Missing Chapter. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So listen, this has been one of those episodes where Phil and I have talked about a while. Um, give the, the listeners a little background. Obviously, these guys know by now that I'm a huge hist- uh, history buff as well as automotive gearhead. So you combine that uh, together and you got one uh, pretty electric podcast here, Phil. I know, Phil. And, and as I told Aaron before we started here, um, this, this is Christmas Day. For, for my colleague here, he has looked forward to this for so long. And we've said, I mean, all along in this in this podcast and that the beautiful thing about history is you can take any interest you have, any any passion you have, whether it's sports, whether it's cars, whether it's film, and you can trace and follow you know history through those. And I think what you're going to hear today is exactly that you're going to hear you know a great tale of history and how it's starting to kind of come around again. We tell kids that all the time. It's the old adage, you better know your history because it's bound to repeat itself. That's right. So now, Aaron, we're going we're gonna, to uh, give the listeners a little bit of background here, too, because you wrote two articles when you and I started emailing back and forth that I, I think are, are very profound. And that's, that's one of the things that inspired me for this episode. And particularly in the, in the introduction, we mentioned, do, do people realize that they're in, they're in some historic moment, other than those flashball moments like a JFK, like a 9-11, like a Martin Luther King Jr., 
uh, assassination, those kind of moments. Apart from that, do people really realize that they're in some historic revolution? So I, I think the way you have this set up in your articles, which we'll post online uh, for our listeners, I, I think is phenomenal. So I think what we could do here is keeping that in the back of our minds. We got to give them a little bit of history here, at least with the internal combustion engine, because that's that's essentially where it all starts. And there's a big debate amongst enthusiasts. Does it start in 1820s France? Uh, does it start with Carl Benz in the 19th century, or excuse me, late 19th century, or even da Vinci drawing up, you know, some, some designs in the 15th century. But what is, I think, forgotten, and that's one of the things that we always talk about in this podcast is highlighting those forgotten stories, is that the electric car is not a, a necessarily new uh, design is that right? Oh, correct. Yeah. In fact, the uh, uh, I always I always get the pronunciation of his uh, of his name wrong. But uh, Anios Jedlik, he invented basically the first electric motor in in 1827. He called it the lightning magnetic self rotor. And the first thing he did with it was put it in a toy car. See, isn't that something? Yeah, and we're still using that to this day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't think I don't think uh, Elon Musk would like you calling it a toy car, but yes, definitely. <laughs> No, so this is so. There's there's a lot of things we can go down as far as this. Who, who built this electric car? Do you know much about about? I'm sorry, his name is uh, Jedlik. Other than fitting it to a toy car, how did he come up with with any sort of uh, way to mass produce that later on? I I know I I know so I know so little about Jedlik. It's it's almost shameful because at that point the electric motors I think were too weak to do any any significant work. It wasn't until a lot of years later that this uh, that the idea of using it for mass transportation kind of kind of came into vogue. And funnily enough, you know, there's two inventions that really led to the electric car. Uh, and one was the the streetcar and the other was the bicycle, the safety mm -hmm. bicycle, because the streetcar, you know, for many people gave them their first their first hint of uh, of mass transit or, or rapid transit, excuse me, the ability to to get from one place to another faster than a horse can take you. Uh, but then the crowding on those on those first street cars was was a real impetus for the safety bicycle, which gave them a taste of personal mobility. Uh, and it wasn't very difficult to adopt the the technology used for the street cars to adopt that to a, a personal vehicle. And that's that's everything that we're seeing right now. Currently, is is these cars? One of the complaints that that the modern person has is that when you step into a vehicle, no longer do you have it personalized. You have to use the infotainment system. That's that's in the car that could be seven, eight years old, and it doesn't function well with a brand new phone, you know, so everything's right now, everything wants to be everyone wants the customized, uh, personalized vehicle. And it's hard for the manufacturers to produce certain things like that, because they, their job is to mass produce. So I think it's interesting that here we are, you know, a century ago, still talking about people personalizing and wanting that that personal ownership of a vehicle. Yeah, it's it's that ability to go where you want when you want. It's such a basic freedom, and, and more so in this country, uh, I think, in others. We're we're obviously very much a, a car culture. Oh, 100 percent. Now, all right, I got to ask you this question before we move on to the next one. So, you mentioned in your article one of the first electric vehicles. Now, listen, I I consider myself a car aficionado. I had no idea this ever existed. This is this is the kind of history I love. 
What the heck is the Electrobat? <laughs> it is the greatest name. I love the name, the Electrobat. Um, this was, <laughs> I absolutely ad- adore this name. Uh, it was it was invented by uh, by two uh, uh, Philadelphians, Pedro Solomon and Henry Morris. And the Electrobat, right about 1895, there were several electric cars, but it kind of represented the state of the art of, of where the electric car was at that time. It would do uh, about 15 miles per hour. It would travel between between 50 and 100 miles on a on a charge, uh, and the reason that year is is so significant is because uh, that's right around the time that Henry Ford uh, invented his first car, perfected his first car, the quadricycle. And of course, Henry Ford is is such a, a cornerstone character in spreading personal mobility to not just to America but to the world. So it's interesting too because <clears throat> now. It's five mile an hour slower than Ford's quadricycle. So, of course, there's a disadvantage there. However, it travels 50 to 100 miles on a single charge. I mean, when the Prius first came out, you could say to yourself, hey, 50 miles on full electric. That that was something to to boast about. And we're looking at 100 years ago with a with a distance of 100 miles. Now, granted, we're talking about a much smaller, much lighter vehicle. But at the same time. 15 miles, 15 miles. If you're doing 15 miles an hour, if you only go 15, like today's electric cars, I think would drive from New York to California. Right. That's uh, without getting into too much of a tangent. That's one of the things that makes electric cars interesting is, you know, internal combustion cars are at their most efficient at high speeds, um, whereas electric cars are their least efficient at high speeds. But at the time, you know, rural speed limits were 10, 15, I'm sorry, uh, city speed limits, I think were 10 to 15 miles an hour. Well, actually, I should say at this time, there weren't even speed limits. Uh, But early on in the teens, really practically, you weren't driving more than about 15, 20 miles per hour. So that was totally fine. And, and, and the Electrobat, there were several versions of it. And they did, they did uh, increase speed at the effective range, but range wasn't much of a, a consideration. And what's interesting to me at this time is the debate going on. And if I can grab a couple of quotes from my article, if that's uh, if that's okay. So uh, 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 Pedro Salem, one of the inventors, um, he said, all the gasoline motors we've seen belch forth from their exhaust pipe, a continuous stream of partially unconsumed hydrocarbons in the form of a thin smoke with a highly noxious odor. Imagine thousands of such vehicles on the streets, each offering up its own column of smell. And he was very prophetic, especially for those of us who live in Los Angeles. You know, there were days in the 70s when uh, the smog would back up against the mountains and it, it hurt to breathe. Uh, and, and people, people uh, I know they get on my adopted home state about, about their strict emission standards. But really that, uh, that uh, you know, California emissions really did help clear the air. But boy, he, he predicted it, you know, 50, 60 years before it was a problem. But meanwhile, the uh, the electric cars of the time weren't much better because same limitations of today, the batteries were so ridiculously maintenance intensive. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you had to every every almost every few days, the battery, which at this point can weigh as much as half a ton, has to come out of the car. You have to check the acid in each cell with a hydrometer. It's battery acid we're talking about. You got to top off the low cells. You got to replace the dead cells. You got to clean out the cell jars. Some of the plates have to be replaced or cleaned. It was really a mess. And uh, Charles Durier, uh, who developed America's first gasoline-powered car, he was he was dissatisfied with his EV, and he complained. And it's a great quote that a set of batteries was worse to take care of than a hospital full of sick dogs. And that's what uh, that's what uh, 
kind of egged him on to pursue uh, gasoline internal combustion power. And what's interesting about the uh, Ford's quadricycle, if we can get back to Ford, you know, Ford at the time he invented the quadricycle, he was working for Detroit Edison, uh, the electric company. I, he was, uh, he started off as a, either a mechanic or a machinist. I apologize. I, I don't have the right one, but he'd worked his way up to a form and he was making pretty good money. And Thomas Edison, who of course invented the light bulb and was, was behind Edison Electric, Thomas Edison was his hero. I mean, Henry Ford just worshiped Thomas Edison. There's a there's a vial at the Henry Ford Museum, which, by the way, is the Henry Ford is one of the most fantastic places in the universe um, for many on many, many levels. But it's a vial that supposedly contains Edison's last breath. And oh, wow. uh, there's a there's there's a lot of debate as to what's really in that vial, whether, you know, Ford really got Edison's son to hold it up to his lips when he was dying or if there were just a few vials in the room. But he. Anyway, the point is, he worshipped Edison, uh, and uh, when Edison when Edison first saw, he got a chance to see the car, to see the quadricycle, and he was really enthusiastic. And he, as the quote is, "Young man, that's the thing," is what he he told Henry Ford. He said, "You know, he said electric cars have to be near the power stations. The battery's too heavy. Uh, steam cars, you've got a fire. They're an even bigger pain in the neck to deal with." I don't think Edison said pain in the neck, but he said, "Your car is self-contained. It carries its own power plant. There's no fire. There's no smoke. There's no batteries. Keep at it. That's the thing." And that was a real encouragement to Henry Ford to to uh, to pursue the quadricycle. And Aaron, this is what I love, because if if you're just tuning in or if you're just picking us up in this conversation, you could very well think that we're talking about gasoline versus electric currently. You know, we're talking about things like hey, rain currently rain. you said it. That was the pun. Yeah. It, that's the pun. And here's my next pun. You're talking range speed. It sounds like the potential was there to continue down the road with this. Mm. Oh, so, nice. Well, right? Yeah, I, I have that written down. I was excited about that. But, <laughs> so is it infrastructure, when, when you look back, that you know limited the electric car at this point in history? Well, there were two problems. Number one, and by the way, if I can just, maybe I should have prefaced this earlier. This, this series of articles started out with the other article we're talking about, where with the help of the Henry Ford, we compared a Detroit Model 90 and a, a, a Ford Model T. We did like a hundred year ago comparison of gas versus electric. And we, I wrote that story, uh, I think in 2020, uh, and even then, obviously just before the pandemic, and and even then, uh, so much has changed in the last three years with electric cars. And I was just struck by how much, how many of the things that had happened a hundred years ago were repeating themselves today. And the primary limitation of, uh, obviously, the issue of charging systems was raised because before the turn of the century. Uh, even if you were even around 1900, if you were a well-to-do family, your house was probably still lit by gas. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, there weren't that many gas stations either or paved roads. So certainly infrastructure was an issue. But bigger than that, excuse me, same as today, the primary limitation was the battery. The motors were fine. In fact, electric cars went on to set speed records. I think the first land speed record was set by an electric car uh, over, uh, I don't know if it's the first land speed record, but certainly at the turn of the century, you know, a few years after the Electrobat, uh, electric cars were faster than gasoline cars. And today, I don't know if you've had a chance to ride in a modern day electric car, but they are ridiculously quick. I mean, insanely quick. We, we get into conversations at Motor Trend because the fastest gasoline cars can just barely touch the slowest electric cars. Uh, and, and I could go off on another tangent, 
20 years ago, electric cars were slow, primarily because everybody was trying to preserve the battery. And the limitation 100 years ago, 120 years ago, is the same it is, as it is today, and that's the battery, the energy density of the battery. Batteries are a lot less maintenance intensive now, which, which helps, um, but really how much energy, energy density can we get? Because that's range and that's the, that's the issue with range anxiety. Um, and even though we've got plenty of cars nowadays that'll do 300 miles, like you take the F Ford F-150 Lightning, an amazing pickup truck, but as soon as you hook up a trailer, your range is cut in half. So we still have, we're still facing these, these same issues. And that really was the, the primary limitation for EVs back then was, uh, was the batteries. And actually, uh, uh, the, Solomon Morris built a, a fleet of cabs for New York City. That's a point in my story. I think this is around 1897. Um, and, uh, they put these fleet of handsome cabs in service in New York City, and they had all kinds of trouble with the batteries. Uh, even with all the proper maintenance, the batteries were failing, the batteries weren't lasting. And that's the same concern people have today. Well, you know, what kind of condition will this battery be in seven or eight years down the road? Will it need to be replaced? Um, and unfortunately, because of a bunch of other things going on, the same group that, that, that controlled the cab interest also had the Selden patent. Uh, which is a patent claiming to uh, basically claiming the owners of this patent were claiming royalties on every internal combustion car built. Henry Ford went to court to defeat this. That's kind of how he became a, a folk hero was standing up to the Selden patent. But anyway, so this was getting a lot of a lot of news coverage. And when those batteries ran into problems, that got a lot of news coverage as well. And that kind of really put a dent in in the prospect of electric cars. And the timing was lousy because electricity was uh, was spreading like like burning gasoline uh, at this point. Is that a pun or is that too much of a stretch? Oh no, we'll we'll, we'll count oh, that. Yeah. Uh, okay, fair enough. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, you know, and, and so much change between 1900 and, and 1905. Electricity is is spreading like crazy. Factories are saving huge amounts of power by. Uh, so, excuse me. Factories are saving huge amounts of money. I get so excited about this stuff. I can't even speak properly. <laughs> um, by going to electricity versus steam power or river power and for retail all of a sudden by, by like by 1905 if you're a retail store and you don't have electric lights like you're nowhere man you know so electricity is becoming more and more popular in the cities of course rural electrification is still decades off and now the electricity companies have a bit of a problem because they're building all this capacity and all their machinery is making good money during the day. You know, during the day, the factories and the businesses are using it. In the evening, those who still have uh, those who have electric lights in their home, they're being uh, they're getting they're using electricity. But then at night, this stuff is just sitting idle and it's not making any money. And the electric companies really kind of start to get behind the electric car because they realized just as today. If people start charging their electric cars at night, well, all of a sudden their equipment's making money at night. And nowadays we're facing that because we're avoiding those peak, those peak power usage uh, uh, periods with overnight charging. See, there's so much, <clears throat> there's so much I could I could talk about right now. Obviously, he, he's feverishly I, taking notes during <laughs> this. This podcast is going to be four days long. Oh yeah, yeah. pace yourself. <laughs> so. So one of the one of the parallels I think is just is unbelievable is is you talked about the period of 1900 to 1905 and how much it changed. And then we think about what happened right now. If I think back to 2017 to now, uh, the progress that has been made in the battery production is is quite remarkable because I don't know if, if our listeners really understand. I don't think that the common person understands unless you're uh, a you know car junkie is there's a catch-22 with with electric vehicles it's that the density that you said is is so difficult to master because 
the more power you want out of the battery, then the heavier the car is going to be. Well, if the heavier the car is going to be, then the more power you need to get it down the road, and there goes the range. But if Correct. you want more range, you got to have extra batteries. But if you have extra batteries, here it comes with the weight again. So there's like this happy medium of how much weight are you going to add to the vehicle where it, it's like the law of diminishing returns almost. Right. And I, yeah, if I, could you know, if I could piggyback off of that before we hand things over, as I'm thinking about this, you know, Aaron, you're out in California and here we are in upstate New York and we talked about weather before we got on. You know, it's not necessarily a luxury for us to have an SUV. It's almost a necessity. So you versus, you know, the West Coast to try and diminish some of the um, the smog you have or some of the pollution you have, you know, in your larger cities versus Phil and I, you know, with with winter roads. That's a real necessity for us. Yeah. And that's without going off too much on a, on a tangent, it's 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 a shame to me. Oh, I am going to go off on a tangent. It's a shame to me that electric cars have become so politicized in as as everything else in in our um, very unfortunate times um but i think that i think that if the average there's a lot of pickup truck owners obviously out there in, in western new york believe it or not here in california too i think if every pickup truck owner had a chance to drive something like the rivian or the ford f-150 lightning you were going to be blown away by it and and that extends to snow driving i learned to drive in rochester new york so i'm all about the snow and when we do our, our SUV of the year testing and our truck of the year testing at Motor Trend, we work at the proving grounds out here at West, um, and they use fine sand to mm. uh, to uh, uh, emulate snow. So for SUV of the year, we were amazed at how well the electric vehicles did. The level of control, because that's a difference. If you go back 100, and 100 years ago to, say, a 1920 uh, uh, Detroit Electric, the controller is a fairly simple drum unit, not much different than what was in the trolleys. Basically, you turn the controller, it rotates the drum, different contactors send a different amount of electricity to the motors. And that's your, those are your speed settings. But now with, with, uh, with computerized, and electri uh, computerized controls, electronics, they can so precisely vary the uh, level of current going to each motor. And uh, a four-motor uh, electric vehicle like the Rivian pickup truck in the snow and off-road, they're just they're just unreal. And the silence is what's great. I'm dying to drive an electric car in the snow because you know the way that snow absorbs all the sound, obviously. That's mm -hmm. going to be so terrific in, in electric vehicles making no noise. It's just wonderful. Now, I, I know I might be jumping the gun here, but <clears throat> now the, the SUV of the year for 2022, am I wrong? Is it the Hyundai Ionic? Hyundai Ionic 5, yes. It has been mm -hmm. announced. It is an electric vehicle. So it's it's debatable whether or not, you know, it's a SUV or more of like what, what the old, you know, hatchback would be considered. But still, unbelievable car. And I, honestly, if if things were more affordable, you're going back to like the Henry Ford, uh, you know, mentality where he realized the potential of the internal combustion engine. But it was just not, um, I don't know, mass produced at that point. So it was not affordable to the people. I think until we see the electric vehicles become super affordable. And I think that the Ford F-150 is probably the closest thing to that, in my opinion. Um, you know, we can get all tangential about that as well. But you have what looks like a, a regular Ford F-150 powered by batteries, uh, a very acceptable range. I mean, that would be the perfect car for me because I take a 45-minute drive to school every day. I would love something that that is uh, nice and big because I'm, I'm a bigger guy. I want something with, with a decent amount of range that would not really cost me anything in gas mileage. Um, it's the perfect perfect situation, but the only way to afford it is if I go the more expensive model, which is the Pro. You know what I mean? So yes. until we get that affordability, that Henry Ford mentality, which I think Elon Musk is at least attempting to do 
with some of the smaller models. Well, uh, I would debate that. The, the $30,000 30, Tesla has yet to emerge, and yet the $30,000 Chevy was around, what, almost a decade ago. Mm-hmm. But actually, point, Phil, yeah. you br- you brought me up to yeah. I, 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 my my opinions on on Mr. Musk are complicated, but you actually brought up a really interesting point. It's going to jump. We jump around a little in time, but but that the cost of electric vehicles is a real barrier. And just by the way, keep in mind that you will never go to a gas station or change the oil ever. True. A lot of people have accused us because we've 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 said some very nice things about electric cars. A lot of people have accused us at Motor Trend of being you know. Uh, being like, you know, California liberals trying to push the blah, 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 blah. No, we like electric cars because they are they are ridiculously fast and they have these really low centers of gra- center of gravity and they're just they're just brilliantly fun. I mean, I, I'm used to these things. I've driven the Plaid, which is the Tesla that gets to 60 Listen, in, in uh, just over two seconds. Don't even get is, me started on the Plaid because yeah. it still boggles my mind. I, I own a Corvette. Z06 and, and with you know almost 600 horsepower in that thing to look at a a four door sedan the size of the of the plaid to zoom past these five six hundred horsepower cars like they're going backwards it's, yeah it's it, it almost plays you know games with your mind it's it's hard to believe well I keep in mind that that F one fifty Lightning Pro that you want I believe is faster to sixty than your Z06 I think well, those things close. are I think it's four yeah. seconds to sixty in, in the Lightning and mine's uh, stock three point four so I think uh, I can yeah. Well, but if you do the launch right, and in the electric car you don't have to, and the electric car you don't have to launch it. If you can push your, if you can push your foot down, you can, you can do a, you can do a four second run in the lightning. But um, two hundred though, I'll catch them at two hundred. Yeah, that's true. They do, they do stop accelerating at a certain point. Yeah. But you do, you do bring up a really interesting point, which is cost, because this was an issue. You know, Henry Ford's life work was to, was to make the car as cheap and affordable as, as possible. Uh, and he really did an amazing job just to bring the price down. And electric cars were inherently much more expensive to build, which is the same situation we've been in, where, that we're in now. Uh, and, of course, at that point, electric cars were much more popular in the city because that's where the electricity was. So what the electric car companies did is they positioned these as luxury vehicles, which is pretty much what Elon Musk did and what a lot of you know companies like Lucid and Rivian have done. You know, They basically embraced the fact that they couldn't sell them any cheaper, so they appointed them nicer and sold them as, as more expensive vehicles. And electric vehicles really had, in the around the beginning of the, the 20th century, they had two common buyer bases. And one was doctors, because the cars would start instantly. And they, you could, back when doctors made house calls, you need to be able to just get going. Uh, starting a, hand cranking a car is, is really quite an elaborate process. Um, I'm happy to review it with you, but you can also read the Model T owner's manual online. But with and electric cars. What's that? Yeah, potentially yeah. very, very dangerous. And we'll touch more on that in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes, I think. But the electric car, you flip the switch and go. And the other, for many of the same reasons, was upscale uh, urban ladies uh, who like these as city cars. And I mean, these things were, you know, you, I, I mentioned in my article with the, with the uh, Detroit uh, Model 90, the Detroit Electric Model 90. I mean, this thing really is like an Edwardian sitting room. You know, there's this thing that looks like a couch in the back and that super comfy couch is actually the driver's seat. So they they have addressed this just as electric cars have addressed it today, which is position them as luxury vehicles until such time as the cost can come down. And, uh, you know, if we can get back to batteries and the issue of, of energy density and also longevity was a real problem for the mm-hmm. for the batteries back then. And what they really needed was a was a, a kind of a savior. 
Um, you know, and for all for all the the complexities of, of Elon Musk, I absolutely admire and adore what he's done for electric cars, which is make them cool again. I mean, if that, no question in my yeah. mind, if, if Elon Musk hadn't done what he'd done with Tesla and with the Model S, which was our car of the year, 2012 or 2013, I should know that. If he hadn't done that, the electric car landscape, as you see, it would not happen. I, I really, I firmly yeah. believe without Elon Musk, all the major automakers would not have embraced, elect, embraced electrics the way they have. And back at the turn of the of the last century, 1900, that savior was Thomas Edison, who, you know, uh, Henry Ford wasn't the only person who idolized Thomas Edison. You know, he, he brought lights to the, literally brought light to the entire world. And uh, in 1901, he formed a company called the Edison Storage Battery Company. And everybody's like, okay, Thomas Edison's going to make us a battery. This is going to solve the problem. Well, Edison Electric didn't have such good luck. The early batteries were a mess. They would, uh, the acid would eat through the seams in the batteries and they would actually, they he actually had a problem with spontaneous fires, which if you remember was also an issue that, that a few Teslas have, have faced. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was really looking, you know, with, with, uh, with uh, Thomas Edison's having so much problem with the batteries, it was really looking like this might've been the end for electric cars. Uh, and can I pivot over to gasoline cars for a, for a moment here? Absolutely. So what's going on in the meantime? So we're looking at these electric cars. They've 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 gotten a lot more popular. They set some seed records. They're hitting some reliability bumps. Meanwhile, uh, Henry Ford's uh, done the quadricycle. It's it's kind of gotten him. Uh, he actually also built a racing car called the 999. Had Barry Oldfield drive it. Uh, he later had a. Uh, another racing car, which he had to drive himself, which he said was pretty much the most frightening thing he'd ever done, but really established him as, as a, as a magnificent engineer. Um, some investors approached him to start uh, a car company called the Henry Ford company. Uh, he almost immediately got into a conflict with them because he wanted to build inexpensive cars for, for the common folks. And they wanted to build the more expensive, more profitable models. Um, something that'll come up. We've talked about doing another, Another episode with a with a famous failure of a uh, of a of a well known car, um, and one of the issues that I was would bring up for that, and I'll remind you now, it's a little secret of the automotive business is it doesn't cost aside from electric and gasoline, it doesn't cost a whole lot more to build a a very posh, very luxurious car than it does to build a, a very simple, very inexpensive one. And the automakers, of course, have always gone for the more luxurious cars because they're more profitable. That's why uh, that's why the automakers today love SUVs and, and pickup trucks. They're so much more profitable. And Henry Ford really didn't want to do that, so he got himself out of his out of his uh, out of his Henry Ford company. Ironically, that company would go to be reformed as Cadillac <laughs> and become part mm -hmm. of uh, Henry Leland came along, turned the old Henry Ford company into Cadillac. Years later, uh, Henry Ford bought Leland's failed company and that was Lincoln. So a uh, little right. interesting intersection of, of uh, intersection of history there. So anyway, he started his own company, the, the Ford Motor Company, which is the one we know today. He built a few different cars of different levels and, and, and different, uh, different prices. In 1903, he came up with one called the Model N. And this is a new low cost model. And it was a huge success. Uh, and and that was that was all the confirmation that Henry Ford needed that he was right and he was going to build an affordable car for the masses and he set to work on his masterpiece and I think you know what that car was. 
Model T? Model T, 1908, the Model T. Just kept lowering the price and making it cheaper and cheaper and all the same. So that's kind of what, that's kind of what was going on with, uh, with gasoline cars. But then finally, Thomas Edison did come up with a successful storage battery. Um, one that was, uh, was uh, not only was the big, biggest issue with it, it was not so much range and density, it was reliability. This battery could last four whole years. Wow, wow. Yeah, I know. You so got a whole four period. years That's out of the amazing. battery. Yeah. And at the time, but again, at the time, keep in mind that back in the Electrobat days, they were having trouble keeping these things going a few months. So, uh, and the the uh, Edison battery was optional on a lot, of, uh, a lot of electric cars, including the Detroit Electric, which, by the way, one prominent owner of a Detroit Electric was Clara Ford, Henry's wife. Oh, so, that's amazing. Yep. Cla uh, Clara Ford drove an electric car. And if you go to the Henry Ford, they've got a letter. The Anderson company that made the Detroit Electric tried to uh, wrote a letter to Clara asking if she would write an um, endorsement for the product. And uh, she demurred, as you can probably imagine. As we would imagine, yes. yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, as as being a native upstate New Yorker, Aaron, you so much of this resonates, you know, with us because of obviously our our location to General Electric and yep. in Schenectady. So hearing about the development there, you know, how that translated into obviously developments in in the uh, automobile and the motor industry is is pretty fascinating. But it, a lot of local history for us too, and it's great to hear, you know, as the gasoline power powered motor wins out at least at this stage in history you know is the battery it just gets put on the back burner is it going to be tweaked is it going to you know we're going to come back to it as it you know advances are made or is i mean is that going to be the end of what we hear well from, that's the interesting from thing the battery? Yeah. there's so much of a gap there in in history it seems well that's the thing at this point so between once edison came out with his battery uh between 1910 and 1912 electric car sales tripled Okay. Wow. The problem is that by 1912, they had tripled to 6,000 units. And in 1912, Ford sold 82,000 Model Ts. So, <laughs> so clearly, uh, clearly, uh, gasoline cars were winning, but electric cars had a real devoted following. This was especially, mm -hmm. especially in the cities. Um, but then, in 1912, oh, and I should add, and this is about the time that Ford and Edison began to talk about a partnership. Now I mentioned that I mentioned that. Uh, um, sorry, I'm adjusting my mic here. I mentioned that uh, uh, Henry Ford kind of idolized Thomas Edison, and they he actually got a chance to be to be kind of friendly with the old guy uh, later on in life. And uh, they started talking about collaborating and building an Edison-powered or an Edison battery-powered uh, electric excuse me, electric version of the Model T. Um, although some say that this may have been more about uh, Ford kind of propping up Edison's finances because Ford apparently gave him a low interest loan of uh, about $1.2 million and uh, the car never did, uh, never did emerge. Um, the, one of the things I've read is that, is that uh, they were also working with Edison to try to develop an electric starter for the Model T, but they could, the Edison batteries just wouldn't deliver the the charge that they needed I so aaron i i think this is this is this is phenomenal i i think one of the things that that we need to um i don't even say focus on but but there's there's got to be a an end to this where you know you have so much progress being made and then all of a sudden it, it just seems to go on a halt and then we don't hear much of that so i think you know we'll take a quick break and and uh, get a word from our sponsor here and then on the when we return um, I'd love to talk more about why did this 
all of a sudden just seemed to come to a, to a screeching halt. There's another and you know pun. What, you know what, Phil? I'm going to have Aaron do a little bit of predicting as to what he thinks is the next step for our for our automotive industry and uh, some of where we're headed as a culture today. I would predict that uh, – oh, okay. I thought you meant what's going to predict in part two because I was going to say I predict the electric car is going to get a bit cranky. <laughs> thank you one. thank you well done well done when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Hi, I'm Aaron Gold from Motor Trend Magazine, and you're listening to the Missing Chapter Podcast. All right, in three, two, two, one. All right, we are back from the break. Phil Horner here with Phil Shaw for the Missing Chapter Podcast. We are joined today with Aaron Gold, Senior Editor for Motor Trend Magazine. Thank you again, Aaron, for the time that you have given us, not only today, but leading up to this. And if you uh, had a chance to listen to the first part of this, we gave you a lot to digest, a lot to listen to and to enjoy. Um, I think where we're at now after the break, Aaron, why the gap between the progress that was being made? I feel like they things were headed in the right direction. Why all of a sudden did things seem to kind of come to a screeching, screeching halt, rather, with some of the electric car um, you know, progress that had been made? Well, you can blame or credit uh, Charles Kettering. Uh, and uh, he was an engineer who came up with the thing that finally killed the electric car, as it were, and that is the electric starter. Um, now, and this may, by the way, electric starting may sound like a bit of a no-brainer, but really it was a very difficult thing to do to get a motor, that small compact motor that could generate high amounts of torque for a, a short amount of time. And if I remember correctly, um, Kettering drew on his experience from National Cash Register, the same, uh, the same technology that was able to motorize cash registers uh, worked oh for, gosh. for, uh, work for uh, car starters because you have that compact motor. Cause again, it's got to generate a lot of power, especially when it's cold and the oil's thick, but only for a short amount of time. And Kettering actually didn't just invent a starter. He invented a complete electrical system, uh, uh, which was, you know, a starter motor to crank the engine, a battery to hold the power, uh, to, to store the power for it, a generator to charge the battery. Um, he integrated the electrical system that fires the spark plugs uh, with, a, with the uh, um, coil and distributor. And then, and then, of course, the lights. You know, people forget about mm. that. But on a Model T, you know, Model T has a magneto on the, I believe, on the flywheel, which just the engine just generates enough power to run the sparks. You need mm. headlights on, a, on an old Model T. You got to light a pair of acetylene, uh, oxyacetylene lamps, um, you know, like with a match. So Kettering came across with this, with, came, came out with this uh, electrical system, which uh, debuted on, the, I believe, the 1912 Cadillac. And this really, really was a, just made such a huge difference because now, among other things, it was it was contemplated that women could now drive cars, uh, and and not to be. Uh, I hope it doesn't come across as as sexist, but that really was seen as a barrier. The cranking of engines not only took a lot of muscle, but it was really dangerous. Those you don't do it just right. You can when you're cranking a car, the the crank can kick back. You can 
break a finger, you can break mm-hmm. a jaw, um, all kinds of injuries, dislocate an arm. Uh, there's a story, I think it's apocryphal. I, I don't, I don't think it's, I've, I've read things either way. I don't know if it's true, but it's a, it's an urban legend, but it's a good one. The Kettering was, uh, was, um, inspired to develop the electric starter after uh, uh, he witnessed or, or knew somebody who had a bad injury trying to crank a car over in, uh, in Detroit. But regardless, came out with this system and now starting a car was literally a matter of a, a push button. And it wasn't very long before electric starting spread from luxury cars to, to other models because of course, General Motors saw that this was gonna make cars so much more accessible, so much easier to drive. Henry Ford, because he was Henry Ford, I don't think he off, he offered he didn't offer electric starting in the Model T until like 1919, um, and I do believe that that led into a period of of great sales for the for the Model T. You know, he resisted any change, but really, it overcame that barrier of of difficulty of driving gasoline cars. And uh, that kind of killed it for the electric car. Most of the most of the uh, electric car builders were gone by World War One. Um, Detroit Electric was actually one of the latest holdouts. Detroit Electric that that we did our comparison test that built uh, the cars that Clara Ford liked to drive, and they they actually got out of the electric car business in 1939. And then it was pretty much uh, nothing until concerns about the environment and all the emissions of these gasoline cars. Uh, kind of became an issue again in the late 60s and early 70s. The electric car just kind of went dormant. So a couple of things about that. And I think um, it's something that I never really realized until I I read your article about the electric starter and how profound that was. And honestly, you could say that that here comes another pun. I can feel it coming. Um, (laughs) The electric starter almost propelled the gasoline powered car into, you know, the next level. So you could... You could argue that I, I I understand that completely now. And I remember a few years ago, um, actually, it's probably more more like a 10 years ago now, because um, after COVID, my brain just kind of scrambles years together. Jay Leno, who we all know is, a, is an avid collector, probably one of the most um, unbelievable historians when it comes to uh, cars in general. He loves his steam-powered cars. Yes. And I do remember when he first started his show, the Jay Leno Garage, he had a he had an episode about the Model T and he started to crank it. And of course, you know, it, it's not very reliable. So here he is cranking and cranking. And he did end up telling a story, I remember, and this is years ago, once again, where, you know, how difficult it was. And I only realized until then that like there was it was impossible. How do you get this thing to start? You know, so you're you're in the middle of the wintertime cranking that thing hoping that it would start and yet he still henry ford still found a way to mass produce it yeah so, and keep in mind by the way when you crank a car you don't stand there and, and spin the and spin the the crank you literally go a quarter of a turn at a time although right. that said the uh the the you know cars today make a momentary spark and of course we're used to old cars being hard to start which had a lot more to do with the emission systems in the in the in, in the 70s the automated choke and and making sure there's 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 fuel in the bowl having seen it done it's actually fairly straightforward um, and model T's have a continuous spark you you flip the 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 um the uh, ignition switch to battery so there's a this they're they're constantly sparking you can actually hear them buzzing um, and if I can tell a quick story, a friend of mine taught me to drive his Model T. So he showed me how it's done. All the pedals are, and hand levers are different in a Model T than they are in, in, a, in a modern car. Um, and uh, he, he shut the car down because it's so noisy to explain to me. So I was ready to start it. And he said, okay, now his car had an electric starter. And he said, okay, now advance the timing. 
I turned the ignition on, so I did. Advanced the timing, so I advanced the timing, and without touching anything, including the starter, the car just starts. Um, yeah. and, and he told me he'd been trying to do this for years. So actually it was possible to start a model T without cranking the engine. If it wow. was just the right position, as soon as you advance the timing, the, the gasoline, the spark would light up the gasoline boom and the engine would start. It's almost <laughs> like, uh, putting the car in second gear, which no one knows how to do anymore and popping the clutch. Not even you know, you moving. I mean, I literally, he's like, okay, advance the timing. So I move the lever and the car goes, and he's like, I've been trying to do that for a year. So, yeah, I mean, but it was, it was, it was fairly easy. The car started fairly easily. And if you, if you drive an electric T with a model, a model T, excuse me, with a, with an electric starter, which I've done, you'd be amazed at how quickly they start and run. But, uh, and I, I even think of the old videos that you, you know, the old black and white videos, the pixelated ones where there's a, there's a guy cranking on this thing and it, it won't turn over. So he uses his foot hmm. and then you see him go <laughs> flying out of the, out of the screen. Um, I can visualize that too. So, so listen, we, we've gotten all these, um, all these avenues, another pun. There you go. Oh, all these thank you. We've driven down. I, I just, I love this. I could go on all day. I, yeah, I me think, as well. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at your article right now and I'm looking at the, the difference in, in uh, visually the difference between the Model T and the Detroit Electric. And I, I don't know if a typical person would, would actually make a distinguished uh, uh, guess between the two. There's, there's obviously some things as a, as a car guy you could point out. Um, but visually, visually they're, they're, more purposeful for the times. Like you said, there was no, uh, not paved, there's no paved roads essentially, right? There's, yeah. you know, skinny tires to get through the mud. Um, you know, so those kind of things. But I, I think of some of the older cars that my dad has, uh, which he still has to this day. So he's he's got a 56 Ford pickup truck that, that doesn't run anymore, but we love that. I remember being in that truck as he's going to his baseball practices. Mm -hmm. uh, 38 Chevy, a 66 GTO, my mom's got a 2003 um, anniversary edition Mustang, um, and he's got also got a 56 Ford uh, Crown Vic. And those cars, when you think of a modern day car, you kind of take it for granted. So when you get in some of these older cars, you know, my dad bought his 56 Ford sedan uh, a few years ago, and he got in and he's like, boy, there's something weird about this. He goes, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm picturing myself you know, 16 years old behind the wheel of a 56 Ford, like I was back then, but it doesn't drive the same. Why is that? He says, my old 2010 Impala drives nicer than this. And yeah. we get used to the luxuries and the modern amenities that we just take for granted every day. So I'm thinking to myself, what would it be like to go 15 miles an hour in a Model T? Because when we're reading that in an article, it's like, oh, wow, it goes, you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour. But you got to be hanging on for dear life when it comes to that. You don't have modern suspension. You don't have anti roll bars. You don't have ABS. All those modern amenities. You don't have forget ABS in a Model T. You don't have front brakes. Right. So, they were the roads you're driving on too. I mean, it's they were yeah. They, the, well, that's the thing. The Model T was really made to drive over everything. The lack of braking is the you can get a a stock Model T will do about 40, 45 miles an hour. My friend who taught me to drive, he's a he's a fairly experienced uh, racer. He's he, he knows his way around a car. And he said that driving the Model T at 40 miles an hour is the most frightening thing he's ever done behind the wheel of an automobile. <laughs> because he said, you know, stopping from that speed requires about half a block. Um, and when you drive a Model T, by the way, if you drive it properly, the throttle's on the steering wheel and it's made so that you drive with your feet flat on the floor. Hmm. So, you know, and I know from experience, you're going along and you want to stop the car and you, your feet aren't on any pedals. So you have no reference and you go, 
well, now what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. but I'll then, tell you, if you look a little closer, we've got some beautiful photographs on that on that article. Um, uh, Brandon Lim is uh, one of our photographers, staff photographers at Motor Trend. I'm going to give him a shout out. He's a, just a fantastic photographer. And if you look at the interior of that, of that model of that Detroit Electric, I mean, it is done up like a living room. You've got the big couch. You've got the big tufted swivel chair. You have curved glass which uh, uh, was a real novelty at the, at, uh, around that time. And these cars, by the way, we drove the cars we drove were 1920. So very late in, in the electric car development cycle, as well as the development cycle, of the Model T. And then you go down to the, to the picture of the Model T. And, you know, not only is there no curved side glass, there's no glass except for the windshield. You didn't need side windows. Um, and I happen to have driven a, a, a touring Model T, which is that particular body style, on a movie through a rainstorm. And even though there's no side windows, you stay dry. It's a bit of a, it's really quite the the engineering masterpiece. You know, you also look, I think you can see one of our photos. Uh, we have a photo of the Model T shot from the right side. And you may notice what's missing on the left, which is a driver's door. Uh, you, according to Henry Ford, you didn't need to get out on the, on the, uh, on the street side of the car curbside was perfectly was perfectly adequate wow. so yeah four-door model t's are actually three-door model t's you know what i i love i love the quote you gave too as you're talking about your friend uh driving the model t and trying to get the thing to stop in the article you wrote uh it's a freight train like stopping distance and the the best line of the article in my opinion is the following sentence where it says driving fast in a model t is not for the faint of heart nor the weak of bladder yeah, it's 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 really frightening. We we were my friend and I were driving when he taught me to drive one. We were driving on a a fairly straight piece of of uh, of uh, road in the suburbs, and uh, I thought the noise was going to annoy everybody. But pe- it was like our own parade. People came out to watch. They That's loved amazing. it. So he said, "Why don't you drive back to the house?" So we had to go for the around a curve, and we're only doing about 10, 15 miles an hour. And he says, "Make sure you slow for the curve." And I said, well, what happens if you take a corner too fast? And I'm thinking body lean. I'm thinking understeer. Right. I'm thinking oversteer. And uh, my friend Jeff looks at me and he goes, well, the wheels are made of wood. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was. But the good news was, you know, no other car could stop that quickly. But either. But the thing is, that's really the contrast is, is you know, in, in, in a Model T, until you get going, your arms and legs are flying everywhere. You know, it's not right. even like a like a stick shift. I mean, everything's in constant motion. It's now it's meant to, once you get it going, and if you go to the Henry Ford uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, near Detroit, and next door to the Greenfield Village where they give rides around in the Model Ts, that's what we were using for this evaluation, by the way, one of those Model Ts. You'll see once they get it, they go into high gear right away and you drive with your hands. And the engine, that engine had so much torque that you can actually slow to a walking pace, go around a corner, and then accelerate away again without shifting down to low gear. Wow. Um, wow. But in the Detroit Electric, I mean, it's just peace and quiet. It is you are so yeah. isolated from the world. It's such a different experience. So I, I don't want to jump the gun here. And I, I don't want to, you know, spoiler alert for the people who haven't read this article or maybe reading it now as we're posting it uh, on social media. But we got to come up with a winner here then because you know you've been talking an awful lot about this model t aaron so it, are you are you looking at uh the detroit electric model 90 or would you prefer the ford model t from the 1920s perspective so you are you're aaron gold in the 1920s what are you choosing 
well, if I'm Aaron Gold in the 1920s, I'm going to talk like this and wear a derby hat. Um, no, you know, other things that were happening is is even though it's interesting because rural electrification was starting to was starting to happen by this time, and of course, roads were getting paved. And by the way, automobile touring in the in the teens was becoming the great American pastime. And uh, and even so, you still had those range limitations with electric cars, and uh, definitely the the Model T was the way to go. And as, as difficult as it is, one of the things I mentioned, the beauty of, of, of driving a Model T, you know, even as with today, an electric car, you're kind of pretty isolated from the machinery. That Detroit Electric has a tiller that you steer with and another one you pull on to give it power. And it just kind of goes. And with the Model T, you are literally manipulating the bits that, that make the engine work. You're adjusting the timing. The, the transmission on those cars, without getting into too much geeky detail, is very much the guts of a modern-day automatic transmission, but without the automatic part. So you're using your feet to, to tighten and loosen different bands that grab different parts of the planetary gear set. So, I mean, you are literally manipulating the mechanical stuff of your car and it's just a it's just such an absolute treat to drive one they vibrate like crazy they smell awful that the your feet bake you know the floorboards bake your feet and uh and the noise is is really it's they're fairly noisy not drag racer noisy but they're pretty loud um but uh it is just the most wonderful feeling it's it's like being part of the machine and i just love it and that's that's the part where as as gearheads i think a lot of people are are missing that element in the EV. You know, they they miss the the mechanical feel of it. it they're incredibly fast, um, and obviously incredibly quiet. So as far as lug, luxuriousness goes, I mean, it, it's top top notch. The well, I guess is is the sound of the V8, the sound of the turbos, the you know the the mechanical feel of everything, where there is that connection between machine and man. Um, you know, I, I think back to growing up with with my dad's thirty eight Chevy and the starters on the floor. So you have to prime it by turning the key, but that's not how you start it. You start it with the, the big circular pedal next to it, and it goes, rawr, 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 rawr. and when it decides to start, it fires right up, and you, you start going away. Or the 56 Ford pickups with the three on the tree. You know what I mean? There's those yep. kind of things that, that are missing these days where, um, I mean, some of the articles in Motor Trend right now is the um, gone of the days of the six-speed manual. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bring back the manuals, you know, is what a lot of, a lot of my friends are saying. But I think uh, I think this is the kind of debate that we, we need to have because we're seeing, going back to the title, we're seeing this revolution take place, which is, it's so eerie to think. It happened so quickly, in my opinion. I never thought we'd be here just five, six, seven years ago. But at the same time, it, 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 history is repeating itself because all these same conversations, I, I'm assuming, were, were essentially had a century ago. Yeah, and, you know, we... I'm going to come back to something you said in the in the first half of the show, uh, Aaron, is that, that right or wrong, things are being politicized. So there's an element that wasn't around, you know, earlier on when this debate was happening, when it was just pure capitalism. Now you have a government involved and the government is being very clear uh, with global warming and the benchmark dates that it's setting forth and phasing out gasoline powered motors. I guess my question for you, and I alluded to this before break. Do a little predicting for us. Is this it? I mean, is there's no turning back now. I mean, this is we are going to be a battery electric car nation moving forward. And when Phil and I, you know, have you on for season 25 of the Missing Chapter podcast, <laughs> will we look back on this episode and say, hey, he got it right. He, he was absolutely right in his prediction. 
Well, I think adaptation is going to be slow in some segments, but again, it's, I think the thing, you know, I want to go back to what, what, excuse me, what Phil said about missing the noise and all that stuff. But I got to tell you something, there is no thrill. Like I was actually driving an F-150 Lightning a few weeks back and uh, just around here in the San Fernando Valley, which is uh, part of Los Angeles, you know, big grid of streets and the light turns green. And there's a, there's a fairly muscular pickup truck next to me and with a V8 and he hits the gas and it makes that really good noise. And I, I hit the, the accelerator on mine and just dust him off in a whoosh of silence. And the thrill of having so much tour, the Ford's got an artificial noisemaker. I turn it off, uh, you know, for inside the car, they, they do piped in engine sounds. I turn it off. There is no thrill like having this instant torque without the noisy feedback. Um, and uh, I got to say, I, I thought I would really, I was one of those, like, I'm going to miss the electric car. The manual transmission is a real passion of mine. Uh, and, you know, they're not going away. Everybody will have old cars. No one's going to make True. old cars illegal. But uh, I spent a year driving a, a Toyota Mirai, which is a, an electric car that is powered not by a battery, but by a hydrogen fuel cell. Um, but it is an electric car. It'll be a, a bit of a slow one compared to the battery cars because they got to meter the use of power. But I got to tell you, after about two months, I'm like, I am done with gasoline. I'm done wow. with vibration. I'm done with shifting. Like the, the, that, the constant smoothness, the constant quietness, it was hydrogen has its own difficulties. It could be a pain in the neck uh, in its own, uh, in its own right. But I thought, you know, the average human being, once they've experienced the silence, the smoothness, you know, my father used to talk about, he liked cars by how smooth, once he went from manuals to automatics, by how smooth they shifted. And he would have loved an electric car because there's no shifting, you know? So that's that's something that as a as an owner of a six speed manual, I have all the power in the world to, to the point where it terrifies me. But at the same time, I look at the person next to me who doesn't have to shift in an EV and I'm like, boy, you don't really have to be a great driver anymore. You know what I mean? Before you had to be a, a good driver and know how to, you know, speed shift and downshift and, and rev match and all these different things. And, and now all of a sudden you can have less power, but more power goes to the ground through an EV and a direct drive. And boom, you're, you're going past cars that used to be, you know, top of the line hyper cars just 10 years ago. You know, yeah, and yeah. To, hear you say, to hear you say that you don't have to be a good driver. Maybe the next, this just hit me. The next time we have Aaron on, yeah. we talk about cars that drive themselves. You don't have to be oh, a driver in wow. this at all. Wow. We're getting there, but we're getting there. But in my, in my opinion, Americans are never going to want to give up on that level of control. I think there's yeah. always going to be, you're always going to be able to take over, but yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot we'll miss, but it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of yeah. thrilling, but I really do think, and you know, we're, we're, we're probably four or five years away from the, uh, the common emergence of the solid state battery, which is going yeah. to give you, but it's going to probably du double the energy density. And now all of a sudden we're going to have, Cars that can go five, 600 miles on a charge that are not as terribly expensive. Pickup trucks that can tow 300 miles, you know, with a full trailer. I think once most people experience electric cars, you know, gearheads will always have gasoline cars. Just as there are people yep. like Jay Leno still driving around in his, his, his uh, you know, his steam cars today. And by the way, we see him from time to time. And I've actually seen him around town in his, uh, in his steam powered cars. Um, he, he's in, he's out of denim too. Yeah, yeah, he's at, he really does. I've been to his garage a couple times. I've been very lucky, and I've seen him around town. He's in Burbank, which is uh, yes. not far from here. But um, yeah, I think people are really going to like electricity. They're gonna yeah. they're gonna get used to no, uh, you know, basically home refueling, leaving every morning with a full tank, not having to worry if if there's a war somewhere and gas prices suddenly double. 
I think that uh, I think that people are really going to like electric cars, and and I think that's going to be the way they they go. Not just through not through necessarily government mandate, but I really think through consumer acceptance. You know, one of the things as I sit here and listen to you guys discuss, I mean, you guys are the gearheads. This is your, I mean, your your level here. One of the things my mind kind of goes to to hear you say that, Aaron, is really living in Canajahari. If you look at you know, with cars, our demographics, our, our society has changed so much. I mean, you used to be able to drive Route 20 from one end of New York State to the next and stop off in every little hamlet of a community and fuel up and experience that community. Then, you know, you had Eisenhower's Highway and how that changed where people lived, how people lived. So as electric cars advance, and, and I hear you talk about, you know, people being able to to go 300, 400, 500 miles, you know, without, you know, recharging, refueling. I'm trying to think in the back of my mind where my mind heads, what will we, how will things change demographically? Like yeah. how will things change yeah. how we live, where we live? That'll be kind of an interesting subtopic to, to kind of delve into a little bit later on. I would agree. I, I just, I don't think electric cars are going to be the societal shift that everybody's uh, kind of afraid that they're going to be, you know, it's obviously there will be a lot for, for what the energy markets look like, but I think the goal is really to emulate the, the gasoline lifestyle, that, that magic 300 range number, which is about right for, for gasoline cars, where I think the, the end point is going to be, and something that they didn't have a hundred, 120 years ago, and maybe it would have made a difference uh, if they did. And something we haven't mentioned, which is the plug-in excuse me, the plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, the PHEV. And these are cars, and I think that's what a lot of people are going to start with. They're going to, they're going to get, this is a car that basically works like a hybrid with a motor assisting the battery, but you can get 30, 40 miles of of electric only operation in there. And people are going to buy those because they have the security of being able to drive 500 miles on a tank of gas. They're going to plug these things every night. They're not, and they're going to, all of a sudden they're going to look up one day and go, you know, I haven't bought gasoline in six months. You know, and I haven't engine started twice in the last six months. And maybe this electric thing ain't so bad. Yeah. And, and that that's actually you mentioned this in the, the beginning of the episode is is there are flaws in, in both the electric and, and the uh, the gas powered. And of course, the, the flaw of the gas powered is actually getting going. Right. So it's it's yeah. you can see on your your fuel gauge. It, it's when you first come from a standstill to, uh, you know, going up to speed. That's the biggest weakness of a, of a gas powered vehicle. You lose all efficiency from the start. But with a with an electric vehicle, uh, you know you have efficiency right there as as you're powering up. So and then of course it weans as you as you go down the road. So if you had the hybrid of those two, you take the the disadvantages of both systems essentially out because you could start the car in electric mode, power it later on with the gas powered, and you have almost the best of both worlds. So I, I agree with you. I think I think a lot of people are going to shift to the hybrid before they go fully electric. However, as someone who's been gas powered through and through. I haven't, I've yet to drive an electric car. I am dying to get behind the seat of some of these cars, especially because this is one of the questions I've been wanting to ask you. When I look at, at hypercars, supercars, uh, I drove, uh, my, my brother-in-law for my wedding, um, a wedding gift sent me out to Las Vegas. And I went on uh, a, a trip to go around the track, uh, with a Lamborghini as well as a 458 Ferrari. And it was, mm-hmm. it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And having been around those cars and those supercars, those those aren't aren't even close to what some of these uh, modern electric cars are are capable of. So here's my question: because all these all these cars brag about their zero to sixty times, with the last um, I don't know, probably five years, the zero to sixty times have increased so much because of the EVs. 
Do you think that your motor trends, we're kind of hitting the laws of physics here. Do you think you're going to have to go into the hundreds of seconds? Because we're, we're going down into, you know, the 1.9 second, zero to 60 quarter mile for, or I'm sorry, zero to 60 time for the new, the new Tesla, uh, you know, speedster. So are we going to have to go into the hundreds of seconds to gauge the zero to 60 times for these modern cars? Oh, without doubt. In fact, we've already done a little bit of that. Our timing gear goes to a lot more decimals than, uh, sure. than, uh, than I can contemplate. We, we go with the one tenth just because it's convenient, but yeah, it's interesting. We got in, we got in a little trouble with, with Tesla because they claim that plaid goes zero to 60 in under two seconds and it will, but only on a certain prepared surface, which we don't right. normally test on. What we found is that if you don't use that prepared surface, it's significantly slower. I think 2.03 seconds uh, rather than the 1.99. So, Which is insane, um, by the way. Yeah. And by the way, at this point, you are now reaching the limit of the adhesion of rubber tires on asphalt. So mm. electric cars have gotten we're, – we're, we're hitting a point. I mean, they said this with drag racing, you'll never go more than 300 miles an hour in a quarter mile because the pinion gear will climb the ring and the car will flip over. But we're reaching a point where it's hard to go zero to 60 in under two seconds if you're driving the wheels because you just the, the, the rubber still has to grab the road and the wheel still has to grab the tire. Right. And yeah. For hypercars, it's going to be it's going to be ridiculous. And the handling is going to be off the hook yeah. and the ability to do. And don't forget the ability to do torque vectoring. The ability to do torque vectoring, the ability to, to direct specifically which of the four wheels power goes to, um, to which power goes. And I want to end my sentence with a preposition talking to school teachers um, and really direct power and, and drive the car around the corners. It's just going to change everything. Uh, if I could tell you a quick tangent, uh, uh, go off on a quick tangent which I suppose you can always edit out. Uh, we did a thing where we went across country off-road on the Transamerica Trail in Rivian R1T trucks. Uh, we did that a little over a year ago. And we're coming around one corner. Uh, I'm on a paved road, and I took it a little bit fast, and car understeered a little bit. I just kind of grabbed the wheel too fast, didn't see it coming. I'm like, oh, sorry, guys, because we got engineers in the back seat. And the engineer goes, he goes, okay. He said, put it in sport mode. He said, do that exact same thing again. But he said, this time, he said, carry too much speed into the corner. He said, this time, when you turn in, he said, just floor the throttle. And I said, okay. So I went into the turn too fast, yanked the wheel to make it understeer, hammered the throttle. And the what happens is the computers direct all the power. The Rivian's got four motors, excuse me, one for each wheel. Wow. directs all the power to the outside rear wheel and just drives the car around the corner. I mean, literally powers that outside to point the car in the direction it's supposed to be doing a little bit of, a little bit of oversteer. All I had to do was floor the throttle and keep in mind, we're doing this with four people in the cab, a trunk full of supplies and a, and a tent on the roof. So uh, electric is just going to change things so much. That's got to be so counterintuitive because you're going against everything you've learned as far as physics go, as far as how to drive a vehicle. People are going to have to reteach themselves. Yeah. Well, except the except the except the hoons like us who, you know, as soon as it slips, if you're on an open spot, we nail the gas anyway because then, you know, then the car (laughs) oversteers and then you see if you can keep (laughs) it from spinning out. Yeah. That's right. So it's so it's so interesting as a historian now because now you think to yourself, all right, where are we going to be a hundred years from now? If we're already we've already reached the limits of physics. Uh, from a motor trend in, in 21, 22, what, what are we going to be adjusting? Because we've already, we, we can send cars down the road as fast as we want. Now we can corner at speeds that are insane. We can break it at, at things that, that will rip your face off as far as uh braking power. It's just, it's, it's crazy to think we're already at that point. And before I forget, 
you mentioned uh, the the model the model S Plaid, the Tesla Plaid. I going back to Jay Leno, I believe Jay Leno broke the record for zero to sixty, or maybe it was quarter mile for the Plaid. It was yeah, a- I don't remember. I know they they did a bunch of uh, they did a bunch of publicity with it. We've got a good story on the car. Yeah, that thing's just ridiculous. I, I've yeah. I've grayed out on a on a roller coaster before. There's one particular photo roller coaster at Magic Mountain in uh, here in California that I know if I haven't had enough water, I'll always gray out. Um, but uh, and even though it's it's over in a, in a heartbeat, you know, that's zero to 60 in two seconds. But I felt the very beginnings of that. That's how oh rapid the acceleration is. The insane. best part was I, w- I, I, I took the car out to a, a, to show a friend of mine uh, and uh, I'm getting leaving his house and there's a motorcycle ahead of me on the on ramp curving on ramp. So he comes, the motorcycle comes around the on-ramp, the road goes straight. And of course the motorcycle just nails the throttle and I nail the throttle on my plaid. And I don't think he realized it, but I stayed on him right till about 95 miles an hour. And then I backed off because I don't get paid enough to afford the speeding ticket. But, <laughs> <laughs> but well, uh, yeah, imagine when everybody can accelerate like, uh, like they have a motorcycle, it's going to be nuts. I think the changes are going to happen in material science. I think there's a lot going on with tires that people just don't, you know, nobody pays enough attention to tires. They're amazing bits of technology. So I think we're going to find that extra speed through material science. I would have to agree because I know when the Bugatti uh, team started working on the 300 mile an hour vehicle, they, they said one of the limitations was not the car, but was the tires. You know what I mean? So you're talking $40,000 a tire just to get this thing up over 300 miles an hour and, you know, that that kind of technology, I think, is going to have to come a little bit uh, further than than EVs even. So I would have to agree. Now, yeah, I, I think it's answer your question. Where we're going to be in, in Motor Trend 2020, uh, 21, 22 is you're just going to get in your car, you close the door, and you'll be there wherever you're going. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of speed. Instant. I have a 45-minute commute. I'm okay for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Aaron, I got to tell you, we, we uh, I've enjoyed this so much. This is this has been phenomenal. I, I'm assuming right now our listeners are, are thinking the same thing. Um, we are so excited to have you back because I don't want to give too much away, but you alluded to it a little bit uh, a little bit ago, talking about the Vega and some of the some of the not so happy endings to some of the uh, worst cars imaginable. So we're looking oh yeah, to- the Chevy yeah. Vega, one of my favorite favorite automotive failure stories. I cannot wait to discuss that on a future episode. It's so and much I'm, fun. I'm, I'm specifically thinking about our listeners who are driving. <laughs> while they're listening and how much they must have enjoyed this. And uh, as a Back to the Future fan, I know we've discussed some other uh, future topics as well, Aaron. So we're, we're hoping to have you on the show quite a bit, uh, as long as your schedule can fit us in. Anytime, guys. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Same here. Thanks again, Aaron. Thank and, you uh, very much. Missing Chapter listeners, uh, tune into Motor Trend. And I, I believe, um, you know, it, Aaron, you've written a lot of articles. So so now these guys can look for your name as they're they're uh, flipping through the pages of Motor Trend. Yep, MotorTrend.com, and uh, and we still speaking of uh, speaking of old technology, we still print a magazine. So uh, which I love. I <laughs> make love sure to pony up and subscribe for that too. <laughs> yep, that's great. Well, thanks again, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, I'm Phil Horander, and I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.